Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Anti-Bullying 101. My name's Jim Burns, and we're here to discuss a variety of topics. Bullying is just, you know, that's the big one, but right now many people are experiencing a host of other problems. Domestic violence, workplace bullying, cyberbullying, community and family bullying, I mean, there's... The list could go on, and often when I speak with people, I discover that they seem to be having trouble with the people that they're closest to, like their parents or their siblings. People become angry and bitter and just don't realize that there is a choice, and it can be just as easy to develop love and joy and peace and patience as it is to be angry, bitter, and vengeful. Now, this podcast is designed for anyone who wants to have a fuller, more vibrant life and to offer some ideas on how to balance the mental, emotional, physical, and, and, you know, at times spiritual areas of their life. But always remember, we're Anti-Bullying 101, so it's truly my hope that we can help everyone live a life without the fear of harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Well, welcome back, folks. Now, a few things. The last episode that we did, I really hope you enjoyed it. It was called, What If the Frankenstein Monster Really Was a Nice Guy? If you haven't listened to that, just take the time to do it. It's about a 40-minute listen, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it. And, you know, I have... Uh, over the course of the last decade, been fortunate enough to be around my children a lot, and I mean a lot. And I, I married my wife uh, several years ago, and she had already adopted a uh, um, a young child from Ethiopia who was about a year and some months old when I met her. Her name is Zoe. And I have been given a second chance at parenting. I really have. And there's so many different things that have been going on 
right now that are part of the culture of middle school kids that I didn't experience when my two oldest daughters, Sarah and Grace, were were growing up. There's a lot of things that I did not experience. And I'm not going to get into it, you know, right now. But the bottom line is we are in an entirely new era, if you will, of raising children. It is totally different now than it was maybe 20 years ago. And I'm learning on the fly. I'm learning on the fly uh, with Zoe. But what I, because I'm, you got to remember, I'm 67. And at this age, probably my patience isn't quite what it used to be. And I don't understand certain things like sleepovers when you have five or six kids sleep over, uh, which I don't uh, recommend because there is just too much that can go on. And at their age, at their age, they stay up late. We as parents fall asleep. And before you know it, they're running all over the house and, you know, we have to step in. So there's certain ground rules that you have to set when you have sleepovers with that many kids. She went to a a birthday party uh, some weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, 12 kids. And it it got out of hand. She asked to be brought home. She asked that that we come and get her. It was just like two in the morning. Because things had gotten so out of control and out of hand. And, and because there, there were so many kids, you had different fractions breaking off and uh, talking to only one or two kids, kids being left out, exclusion, you know, and so on. But the point that I'm going to make to you is that is the way it goes. That's the way it goes. And kids have to bounce back from that. And right now, attention, kids want attention, and attention is a commodity. They want to have it. It's so important for them to have the attention of other kids, at times other adults, and to be in the spotlight. And we have a responsibility as parents to teach our kids how to bounce back when things don't go the way they want them to do. I use the word resiliency. Now, there was a great article that I read. It was on a website. A website is called Make It, um, Raising Successful Kids. And the gal was uh, Ronnie Cohen-Sandler. She was a contributor uh, to this site. And I really thought that she made some excellent points uh, in the writing. And I'll give you the title, and I'm going to put this link in the podcast description. It's a psychologist says, parents who raise resilient, socially intelligent kids always do five things during hard times. Well, they always do five things, okay, 
but I'll guarantee you they probably could be doing 10 things. And sometimes even five things, even 10 things is not enough, and they may need to do more. But I'm going to share some of this with you and give my commentary and, and curate this article because I think it, it made some sense and I think we, we need to hear it. However, I still want to continue with the discussion that I was having a moment ago, and that is kids, right now you have TikTok, Snapchat, the kids don't even use Facebook anymore. They don't use Facebook. Um, and they have, um, of course, YouTube. They get on and they they do things. You have YouTube Shorts. You have Instagram. You have Instagram Reels um, that kids uh, listen to. You have a lot of different things and watch. You have a lot of different things at their disposal that makes gives them the opportunity to socially interact. Now, I will tell you, the pandemic did not help us in this whole area because there was too much cyberbullying that was going on. There was too many mean things that were said, either online or through a text message or through TikTok. And when kids start interacting online together, either playing a game or uh, making TikToks or whatever the case may be, you know, two kids is enough. Because if you start having three, four, five kids interacting online, somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. Somebody's going to get their and they, and it does happen. It does happen. But let's just take a look at what these five things are, and I'm going to add some other commentary. Now. Friendships help kids get along with other people. That's for sure. But kids need to understand, just like relationships, okay, friendships go up and down. Uh, and you're always going to be disappointed by a close friend. And sometimes... Close friends can irritate you or they can get on your nerves, you know, and so on because they're close friends with you. And this is something that kids need to be aware of. Just because you have an argument doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, uh, sever the friendship. You're not going to do... You see, and this is another reason why if kids learn this, you know, and if they understand it and they can endure through it, they'll understand how to handle a relationship and probably a marriage. And they'll get to a point where they'll understand just because things were a little tough today between me and my spouse doesn't mean that I have, I'm going to get divorced. It means we have to keep working on it. Relationships are forever. The relationship that you had with um, an individual in school is forever. You'll always remember it. Unless you get amnesia, you'll always remember that relationship. The relationship the, that you had with your first boyfriend or girlfriend or partner, you're not going to forget you're not going to forget it. 
It's forever. And it's something that we want kids to understand. That these things happen in relationships and they have to bounce back if things don't go quite the way they want. And they shouldn't feel bad if something bad happens in a relationship or if they do something bad in a relationship. You could always say you're sorry, you know, and so on. Now, there were times when I had felt like, you know, my, you know, my, my children were doing, uh, um, uh, something and they needed some support and, uh, you know, I would go to hug them. And unless a kid, you know, um, uh, is adverse to being hugged, understand that a, a hug can be, have more of an effect on someone than verbal assurance. Interpersonal touch. Being hugged can, has a, a myriad of physical benefits. It can lower blood pressure, pressure, make a person feel safe. It can lower your heart rate. It can do a lot of different things. Sometimes that's all a person needs. That's all they need. I was talking to um, my wife um, after we saw the um, Academy Awards when Will Smith charged up on stage and smacked Chris Rock in the mouth for a comment that he made about his wife and her bald head. Well, first of all, Chris Rock didn't know that his wife had a condition. The condition was alopecia. And the the way that, and by the way, Will Smith did laugh when Chris Rock said it until his wife gave him a look like, what are you laughing at? Then he had to go do something. But the point that I'm going to make to you here is, when I asked uh, my wife, Pat, about it, I said, what do you think of this? She said, I would rather have you comfort me in that situation than go up there and slap somebody in the mouth. She says, never mind slapping them in the mouth on, on worldwide television. It, it made the two of them, didn't make, no, it didn't make Rock look bad. It made the two of them look like, like it, it made uh, Will Smith look like a fool. To do that. And there will be consequences because no matter what somebody says to you, you don't have the right to go up and retaliate physically. There's no self-defense on this. There's no, there's no, and Chris Rock took it like a man and he went on and he continued the, the uh, presentation. Now, Here's where I'm going with that. When I asked my wife about it, what did she say? I'd rather have you hug me than go up and hit him. Sometimes a hug is better than any words or any other actions that you can take. When a person is upset and sad, sometimes they just need you to give them a hug and say, yeah, 
that really sucks, or that wasn't very nice to say, I'll speak with him later and comfort your wife. You don't need to say a lot. You don't need to start that conversation right away. And if you notice, most of the stuff that upsets kids, you know, is their social intelligence. It's their social intelligence. They don't have the ability to socially interact correctly with other people. So they, they get, something gets said, they don't know how to respond. Look at what just happened. I mean, something was said, he didn't know how to respond, he gets physical. You have to teach kids to stand tall, and you have to teach kids to understand when to say something, when not to say something, and you have to teach them that violence is not the way to solve the problem. See, when I was speaking to you earlier about my daughter going over to a house with 12 people, what kids need to understand, and, and they will, because what will happen, let's just say uh, there's um, six kids that are friends. Every one of those kids is going to weed out who they, who they don't want to be friends with and who they want to be friends with. You can't gauge self-worth by how many friends you have. You need to have quality relationships. And even, even if you have a lot of friends, it doesn't alleviate loneliness. And when there are a lot of friends involved... There is also a lot of rumors, gossip, uh, and put-downs and different things get said. Because sometimes a relationship can go south. Sometimes one of the girls or boys in the relationship gets a partner that they want to be with. And they ignore their the friends that they've been with. And that becomes a problem. And then rumors and gossip start. So... Help your kids understand that there is a quality to the relationship that they want to have. Not the quantity. How many they have doesn't matter. My name's Jim Burns. You're listening to Anti-Bullying 101. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We're talking about how you can help kids be socially... Uh, become more socially resilient. And I'm going to put this article that I'm critiquing right now up on the website uh, or up on the um, episode, in the episode description. You know, negativity is something that we all experience. And I can be very negative from time to time. I mean, extremely negative. Um... However, as I've gotten older, I've realized that I have to be grateful for a lot of things. And I have to be grateful for the accomplishments that I've had. I have to be grateful for the family that I have. I have to be grateful for my health, which I'm going to speak about in a moment. 
and I have to be grateful that I'm in this country because if you know if you're in a some other places in this world today, if you talk about the government or you want to protest or you want to do something that is contrary to what the the tenants of the country are, you're going to jail. They're not even going to ask. There is no trial. They just throw you in jail. So there's plenty to be grateful for. Now, with kids, help them understand what their recent triumphs were and let them appreciate it. Let them see the brighter picture. You know, if a kid comes home with a bad test score, that's not who they are. They're not the bad test score. We will, and, and oftentimes as parents, we'll look at it and, and we will begin to address the kid's behavior before we address the fact that they didn't understand what they needed to do in order to pass the test. So we start using words like no effort, lazy, um, you're spending too much time on the computer, you're doing this. You're, we start going through a myriad of different things, telling kids, you know, this is why you failed the test. Well, what can you do now to help them pass the test the next time? Instead of focusing on what am I going to do if I fail, help them focus on what do I got to do to be a success. And I've told my kids this, and I've told even told Pat this. Um, everything is temporary, and and that's the only way that I could say it because. I don't want to say that things will get better because sometimes things just don't get better. But everything is temporary. You're not going to be 12 forever. You're going to be 14. Your kids are going to be, your friends are going to be older. They will grow up and they will start recognizing some of their shortcomings. They'll start recognizing how to have quality friendship as will your own child, as will my child. And yet you give them that type of, and as the article calls it, social hope, which I think is great. And you help your kids move through the years. You can't expect a kid that's 11 or 12 years old to understand how to react and respond like an 18-year-old. Never happen. That's not going to happen. So you have to deal with the kids at their level and say, you know what? Things will change slowly. You don't, I don't know that things are going to get better, but you're going to grow up and how you grow up is important and I'm going to help you do it. And that's how that works. Too often you could say to kids, you know, it's going to get better. Well, you know what? I think me saying to them it's only temporary works a lot better. Because at least then they realize, then they realize uh, that, uh, you know, 
we're going to move into the future and we can't live in the past. Now, I actually think that was a terrific article. I'm going to I am going to post this. Um, once again by Ronnie Cohen Sandler, clinical psychologist. Uh, and so this will I'm I'm happy I critiqued this. Now, a couple of things I wanted to share with you. I've often spoken about the physical, the mental, the social, and the spiritual areas of life. I want to talk about the physical for a moment and common sense. I've had uh, an irregular heartbeat for 40 years. And it's, it's called a premature ventricular contraction. And I've always kept track of it, always took my medication. Rarely does it ever bother me. Rarely. My dad had three strokes, third one killed him. My sister had a stroke, killed her. High blood pressure... And um, other more um, dangerous factors ran in our family, some of which I didn't even know about. But high blood pressure, probably high cholesterol. It wouldn't surprise me if I found out that my sister or my father had a fib, something along those lines. And I go to a now, my father died. 45 years ago, this April 13th. My sister died around the same age. Pretty frightening stuff. Considering that I'm 67 and she died at 67. And my father died 68 and a half or thereabouts. And his father died at 74. Well, his father died in 1948. Now, let me explain something to you. You are... As an individual, I go to the doctor, the cardiologist, every six months. You are, as an individual, responsible for your own health. The doctor that you use in your treatment is a consultant because you end up making the final decision in terms of your health. But you're using him as an almost as an expert witness about your health, and you're trusting him to give you the right advice, the right uh, treatment plan, and any procedures or any other lifestyle changes that you have to make. You're counting on them. Now you don't have to go far to figure out lifestyle changes for high blood pressure. I mean, what are they? You don't smoke. You watch your weight. That's two of them. You take your medication, you exercise, you know, you make these changes. You watch your diet and so on. Well, I went to the doctor um, two or three weeks ago and he checked me out, said I sounded good, looked good, blood pressure was perfect, everything was great. And I said to him, Doc, I got a question for you. Everybody in my family's killing over. It's my age, right? They, they died around my age. I said, how can I be sure I'm not going to be in that same boat? 
and he said, let's start with a cardiac calcium score. And I didn't know about this. And of course, I did a lot of homework. And the cardiac calcium score is nothing more than a CAT scan that goes over your upper torso, focusing on your heart, and x-rays your heart at a very low level uh, and picks up all of the calcium plaque that's in your that's uh, in the arteries of your heart. Now my cholesterol came back. My lipid panel came back. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Nothing was high. Everything was balanced. Everything was great. So I, I go and I get this cardiac calcium score, which you should be getting if you're a man by the age of 35 and if you're a woman by the age of 40. So... I get it done, I come home, a couple hours, I get on the portal, and I have the, the, um, the, the, uh, the idea, what, you know, in other words, the, the calcium score, like, zero, now this is calcium, now this is not cholesterol, cholesterol you can get rid of through diet, you can lower it, calcium, you don't get rid of it unless you surgically remove it. Uh, and it doesn't mean, and once again, the calcium score doesn't mean that you have plaque in your arteries. It means that there's calcium floating around in there, and it may not have collected against the wall of your artery yet. Okay, calcium score zero, no evidence of plaque. One to ten, minimal evidence of plaque. Eleven to a hundred, mild evidence of plaque. 101 to, to 400, moderate evidence of plaque. Uh, and then over 400 extensive evidence of plaque. My calcium score came back. And once again, the doctor did not send me for this test. He did what did he what, I asked him for it. I asked him for a test to help me out. And my calcium score okay was uh, let's see, where is it here? I have it. Okay, my overall calcium score was 2729. You heard that. First 400 is, is the high number. Mine was 2729. Now there was a little bit of calcium um, in other areas. Now this was, um, in the right coronary artery and in the left descending artery. I don't know how much you know about the left descending artery, uh, but that was the, that's known as the widow maker. That where, if that gets blocked, you're dead. One of those things. So I get this thing and I look at it. And I go over it, and I, I'm, I figured I'm going to get a call from. I got a call from him, probably as fast as I, I mean. I looked mine up, and he said to me, "You got to go in for a cardiac catheterization to find out what the hell is going on." I says, "Well, my question is, why didn't I get this at the age of 40? I didn't know about it, and until I pressed him, and he's a 
good doctor. I like my doctor. Until I pressed him and said, wait a minute, what can we do now to determine if I'm at risk for um, some of these things? He says, this is it. And this is, this does, it's not a death sentence. This means that within five years, if you got high scores, you're headed for a heart attack. But now you can make, you have a treatment plan. Now, my concern was how high was this thing five years ago? And maybe I'm already headed there. You, ladies and gentlemen, are responsible for your own health. You go to a doctor, he's the one that writes the script for procedures and so on, but you're the one that has to go in and talk about it. You're the one that has to let him know what you think you need. You're the one that has to let him know about your genetics. And you, above all, are the one that have are the one that has to control what you can control. And those are no smoking, exercise, diet, maintain your weight, and so on. These are the things that you have to do. I've done all those, and I still have a high score, which is probably genetic. Now I'm going to go in, and hopefully they can clear out some of this stuff. But the bottom line is, I waited too long to get it. If you're 40 years old and you're a man, go get it. 35, 40 years old, go get it. If you're a woman, go get it. You have to go get these score. You have to go get these tests to determine if you're in a position of, and your family's in a position of your untimely demise, which you don't want to have happen. And I tell you this as a matter of the bullyproof classroom, anti-bullying 101, speaking about health. Because relationships, health, cortisol levels will drive up your calcium score. Stress will drive up your calcium score. And you have to be aware of that. Stress does a lot of things. And if you're being bullied, if you're being attacked, if you're having difficulty in a relationship, if you're having trouble with friends or whatever the case may be, and you feel like you're being stressed out, you are doing nothing more than affecting your health. And as that moves forward, understand there are conditions that will lie in the weeds that you won't know about that are at work in your body, that if they're allowed to continue, they will kill you. And you have to be responsible for what you can be responsible for. If I knew about this test 20 years ago, I would have been on the ball and I would have, I would have uh, gotten the test, without a doubt. But because my cholesterol was low, because my blood pressure was under control, no one thinks you need it. Well, there's certain things that have gone on in my life that lead me to believe I do need it. I do need something as a predictor of what could happen down the road. And I got it. And now I know about it. And now we're going to take some steps to take care of it.
Don't neglect your health. Ever. And I've said this before. If you think that you've got trouble, you, or you think that you've got a problem, or you wake up and you're stressed out about something, get sick. And you'll see how big the problem actually is. It'll be, it's a zero. Because all you're going to want from that point forward is good health. And don't let things get you to the point where your health becomes compromised because it's not worth it. I'm not a doctor. But I can tell you this. I know what I need. And if you know what you need, you make sure you let your doctor know about it and tell him, hey, doc, I think I need to get a, a checkup on this or that or whatever the case may be because there's too much history in my family of people killing over when they're 65, 70 years old. So what can we do to stop it? And that's what, I'm, that's what I was interested in doing. I should have done it 20 years ago. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I guess now the health uh, healthcare network. <laughs> but we're trying to do what the healthcare podcast. We're trying to do what we can to help people in all different areas. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I hope that you have a good day. It's Wednesday. I normally do this on Tuesday. But yesterday I was a little backed up with some stuff. I couldn't get this in. But it is Wednesday. Today is March uh, blah, March 30th, 2022. The time is 11.37 a.m. I am in uh, cloudy New Jersey. Um, that's when this podcast is taking place. It'll be published very soon. You are my dear listeners. I thank you so much for listening. I thank you for your time, your your effort, your energy. I can't see you. I can't touch you. I don't know you. But I do know that there is someone out there who cares about what I have to say, and I appreciate you listening to me today because, kind of believe it or not, my sharing this information with you guys just is almost therapy for me. So thank you, my wonderful listening audience, for being my therapist. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.